Welcome, church family. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Emily, and I'm the young adult ministry leader here at Princeton Alliance Church. This is a special Sunday, a bittersweet one, because it is the last Sunday that we have our college interns here with us for the summer. So let's give them a big round of applause for all of their service this year. They've been here all summer. Um, And it's because of your generosity that we were able to invest in them and have them invest in our youth, in our kids, in our worship, in our young adults. As we give back um, from what God has given to us, that then multiplies and we're able to give more and more and make a bigger impact for the kingdom in the name of Jesus. So this morning, we encourage you to continue to give in praise and worship and thanksgiving. Um, you can go to princetonalliance.org hub. Um, and there you can give online. You can also scan the little QR code on the pews. Um, and you can also submit your prayer requests. One of the biggest ways that we can care for you, especially during this season, is through prayer. So do not be shy. Um, Submit those prayer requests. You can do it anonymously or send us your name. And um, we would love to join you in prayer and help carry your burdens and celebrate your joys. Before we dive into the word, let's pray together. Holy God, I thank you for every person in this room today. God, I thank you that you have every single person here for a reason this morning. God, would we have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand? Would we have soft hearts to your voice and the courage to be obedient to your call? God, we thank you that you speak to us no matter our age, no matter how long we have been following you. And so right here, right now, we tilt our ears upward and listen for your voice. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. God, you are the reason we hear. And so, Father, we are listening. It's in your holy and powerful and precious name that I pray. Amen. We are in a series called Pressing In This Summer. Our entire pastoral staff took time with God individually to ask God, what would you have me to say from my heart to our church family? And God did a cool thing where he put the same thing on two of our pastor's hearts. And so this is week one of two, um, focusing on belonging. Here at PAC, we understand that one of the pillars of discipleship to Jesus is belonging to him and his family belonging to him and his family. This topic is near and dear to my heart for many reasons. I've experienced belonging in the church in a way that has set me free and healed my heart. And I've also experienced pain and isolation and felt like I didn't belong. And I'm sure that everyone in this room has some kind of story relating to belonging here. Maybe there's a part of yourself that you feel like you can't share with the church family because you're afraid you wouldn't belong. 
Maybe you too have had your heart healed through belonging to a community group or youth group, wherever it may be. But I wanna start by telling you a story and sharing a little bit about myself. When I was a little girl, I was captivated by marriage. Now, you might think, okay, a lot of little girls like dress up in the white dress and practice going down the aisle with the flowers. But for me, it was so much deeper than that. I was the weird teenager that was reading books about marriage from an early age, not actually dating anyone, but captivated by marriage. Now, I think that marriage is a beautiful thing. It is a gift and it is sacred because it can reflect Christ and his bride to the world. How powerful is that? It is a good thing and a good gift. But something happened about when I was brought into this world where marriage was not only explained as a good thing, but through Disney, through sermons, through conversations, I received the message that marriage was the ultimate thing. It wasn't just a good part of life, but it was the goal of life. Oftentimes, both within the church and outside of the church, marriage is equated with the good life. Not John 10.10 up there on the wall. There's a little asterisk there oftentimes where we say, I have come that they might have abundant life, that they might have life to the fullest once you're married. There's this message that your life cannot be complete without a romantic partner, that your life cannot be full or meaningful without that ring on your finger. Even in the church, right, where we say we're centered on the kingdom of God, sometimes it can feel like we're centered on marriage. If you're single, it can feel like you're on some waiting list to belong. And the only ticket that will get you in is if you say, I do. Although no one ever explicitly said this message to me, it was something that I picked up and absorbed almost like osmosis throughout my life. And as someone who wants a full life, as someone who wants an abundant life, I, and I'm very proactive, I was like, all right, I'm gonna make it happen. If I cannot be truly fulfilled without a husband, then I need to find a husband. Beneath this belief about singleness, something creeped into my identity. I had this subconscious belief that myself would be incomplete and that I was of less values to others if I was single. This belief was so deep in me that if someone who was single and older than me said, yeah, I love my life, it's amazing, I'd sit there and be like, you're just telling yourself that to feel better. You're in denial. Hardcore judging, Lord, I repent. But I believed that marriage was so essential to have the abundant life that Jesus offers that I immediately distrusted people for no reason. You're lying. I projected my own mistaken belief onto others. 
This posture towards singleness left me believing my worth was being chosen by was in being chosen by a man. Left me dating guy after guy. And I was pretty angry at God and generally despondent. God, how could you make me this way? Why would you give me this desire but not give me the space to act on it? How could you make me so deeply relational and withhold this good thing from me? Maybe you yourself are sitting there and you have that same question deep in your heart. God, why are you withholding good from me? God, are you really worth trusting? Is your way worth following? Really? You've left me empty-handed. And if I had stepped outside of your will, I could be happy. I could find someone. I could live the good, abundant life that we also crave. Maybe you yourself are married and you have an adult child or a close friend who is single. And you yourself have that doubt and that question, God, why would you let them be single? The root of this question is often found in our belief about singleness. Many of us have absorbed from culture, both within the church and outside of the church, that singleness is not good. Now, for those of us following Jesus, if we hold any type of belief or think something is true about the world, our call is to bring that belief to God's holy word and to test it. God, is this true? Is this belief real? But sometimes, we might not even know that we have the belief, so we can't bring it to scripture because we don't know it's there. This is how singleness was for me. I didn't even know I viewed it this way. But in the same way that we can bring our beliefs to scripture and see if they're true, God can reveal our beliefs through his holy word. So I was confronted with a scripture that I had a very strong reaction to internally. And I realized, God, I don't think this is true. God, I disagree with Paul here. And so I asked him, will you show me the truth? Let's turn to that passage together. Open up to 1 Corinthians 7. And we are going to start in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. I wish that all were as I myself am. So Paul is speaking. He himself was single. The man who wrote many of these letters in the New Testament. He says, I wish that all were single like me, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the married and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, 
But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For if the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband, otherwise the children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all churches. Skip down to verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, basically an intense version of the engaged. I have no command for the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, Those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Those are some strong words from Paul. And when I read them, I realized that I resisted them. I disagreed with them. And whenever we find this happening in scripture, it's important for us to then go to God and ask him. So I said, God, I disagree with this, but I know you had a reason for putting this in the Bible. All of scripture is profitable for us. It has purpose for us. So why do you put it here? The great thing about God is whether you've been following him for a day or forever, he hears our prayers and he answers them. 
And so he answered my prayer and met my challenge and ended up not only changing that core belief I had about singleness and my worth, but also transforming my life trajectory. First, there were three significant truths that God showed me before I could understand what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians. The first truth is that I am already chosen. Oftentimes, we tie marriage to our worth because all of us have this desire to be chosen. And within our culture, the only real example we're given of being chosen in commitment is marriage. And so I feared, God, if no one marries me, am I not worthy of being chosen? But God showed me that while I was his enemy, he chose me. While I had my back turned on him, he chose me. He said, my daughter, my bride, I showed you that I would go to the point of death for you. Your worth was proven at the cross. I am already chosen, and so are each of you sitting in this room. The second significant truth that God showed me was that I already belong. Again, oftentimes, the only picture of belonging we are given in this world is through marriage and then having your own kids. And so my fear was, God, if I don't get married, will I always be alone? Will I never belong somewhere? Will I always only be a guest who could be disposable if I say the wrong thing or behave the wrong way? But then God showed me when you choose Jesus, you inherit his family. Because we belong to God, we belong to each other. And this is not just a family until death does us part. But this is an eternal family. So God said, I loved you so much that I'm gonna give you a family, whether married or single, that will last past death. I'm gonna give you eternal family, not just temporal one. And then the third truth that God showed me was that I am made for human community. A lot of times in the church we say, God is enough. If you're feeling lonely, just pray. If you're feeling lonely, just read the Bible. If you're feeling alone, you need to change your heart. But God showed me that that was not a complete picture of his will and desire for us. In Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, God created and it was good. Before sin enters into the world, before there is any type of relational divide, there is still something that is not good. It's the fact that Adam was on his own. Let that sink in. In paradise, in a perfect world, it was not good for Adam to just have God. God said, I need to make him a companion. I need to give him family. We are made in God's image. In loving union, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
we reflect that here on earth through our human relationships. So even in a perfect world, God said, I need to make other humans for them. And I want them to multiply, not just to be two, but to multiply and fill the earth. This is huge. Because when you're feeling lonely, you don't just need to pray. Maybe you need to dive deeper into your church family. Maybe you need someone to reach out to you. This truth shifted so much for me. We are not responsible for one another, but we are responsible to one another. I am already chosen. I already belong. And I am made for human community. These three truths I needed to know at a heart level before I could understand 1 Corinthians 7. As I was on this investigative journey about marriage and singleness and following Jesus, I studied a little bit about marriage in the ancient Near East, um, in Israelite customs, in the times of Jesus. And one of the things that struck me was that historically, marriage is not about the joining of two individuals, but the joining of two families. In the West, oftentimes, we now see it as two individuals. Um, I think more of the cultures in the East, that you still have that communal element to it, which I think is beautiful. But a lot of times, marriage was about security. It was about social status, trying to pull yourself up through marriage, about having an inheritance. For a long time, as a woman, if you didn't get married, you would have no future. You would have no security. You would have no purpose. You would have no place within your community. And then Jesus showed up and challenged that cultural norm. He showed up and said, hey, there's another way. He radically changed everything. He said, in, in me, in Christ, you have a family, you have a future, you have an inheritance, you have security, you have a place within your community, you belong. So whether you are married or single, you have an eternal future. Whether you are married or single, you have an eternal family. Whether you are married or single, you have been chosen by your maker and he has made you his and said, I also gave you human community. Whether single or married, Jesus said, belonging now centers around our spiritual reality as the family of God. We all belong to each other. Think about during the passion, right? He gives his mother to one of his disciples and says, your mother, your brother, Jesus goes and redefines family and he gives us this good news that you do not have to get married to have value. You do not have to get married to belong. You do not have to get married to have a future. This is a countercultural message. As I read 1 Corinthians 7, maybe some of you felt uncomfortable because you're like, we don't usually talk about this. Ah, what's she gonna say? 
With my married friends, you belong to your single friends. My single friends, you belong to your married friends. A commentary um, that another pastor and I were discussing this week says that marriage reflects the exclusivity of Christ. Christ and his bride. You must choose me in order to have me. Marriage reflects the exclusivity of Christ, while singleness reflects the inclusivity of Christ. Hey, you're a part of my family. It's not just a ring on your finger that makes you belong, but it's the fact that you've chosen Christ and I've chosen Christ, and you are included. The gospel is at the same time both exclusive and inclusive. And we need both married people and single people to reflect this goodness to the world. When we belong to each other and live this out, we reflect the glory of God to the world. And people will stop and say, whoa, that's different. Wait, I want what you have. I haven't seen this before. Wait, you're single and you're fulfilled? How? How? So you might be sitting there thinking, okay, I'm single, so what do I do? I'm married, so what, what's my next step? I want to tell a story about a family that I met when I was living in California. They are called the Ellisons. And when I was in college, I was kind of intense, a little too intense, and so I was studying from like 5 a.m. to midnight and just like not your typical college student. And I realized, I was like, I need to be around people who are not in college. So um, in our church called Fellowship Monrovia, um, I joined a life group that was labeled all ages and stages. And I walk into this home on the first day of the community group. And I walk in, and I'm the only single person, um, and everyone else is married with kids. And I was pumped, because I'm like, I don't need more college kids. Like, I need other people. My, like, blood family lived far away. And later, um, the mom came up and told me, she's like, I was nervous for you. I was like, does she not know that this is a bunch of families? Like, like that is how unnormal it was, right, for someone in college to be in a group with a bunch of married people. But what started as meeting every other week turned into something beyond anything that we could have dreamed. A couple months into our community group, I sensed God saying, you need to live with the Ellisons. And I was like, oh, Lord, okay. Um, and so I prayed about it and felt like I needed to talk to Sylvia, the mom. So I went up to her and I was like, hey, this is kind of crazy, but I feel like I need to live with you guys. And to my surprise, she's like, okay. But we have this kind of scary basement, like pegboard walls and ceilings, fluorescent lighting, like puke, brown, puke green, like Scary, scary basement. And I was like, that's okay, we can renovate it. I love working with my hands. So my dad came down, we renovated their basement, um, and I moved in with them. And what went from a community group that was just a meeting every other week turned into us being able to live the spiritual reality of church as family. Sometimes I would take the kids to school Sometimes they would cook dinner for me. 
We'd watch shows together. Sylvia would talk to me about how to navigate her eldest becoming a preteen, how to talk to her. What does all these acronyms mean on texting? And she helped me discern my purpose and my calling. We got so close that um, I ended up being on their Christmas card, which was like the, truly the biggest honor of my life. Um, that is when you know you belong, right? But what was amazing, we laugh about it now, is that I was so a part of their family that they didn't even think to send an explanation out with the card of who this other person was. But how beautiful is that? To be so much so family that you don't think about having to explain who this person is. This was a taste of the abundance of life together that God has made available to us. God made us for more than just awkwardly saying hi once a week on a Sunday morning. He has more for us than just segregating ourselves into married small groups and single small groups. Now, those things have their place, but if that's all we have, we're robbing each other of goodness and depth that God has for us. One of my favorite things about our young adult community is it is a group of people, young and kind of young, um, college students, working professionals, single and married. And guess what? The married person about to have a kid who's 35 has just as much to learn from the 18-year-old college student as the 18-year-old has to learn from the 35-year-old. In any other context, people would be like, why would I hang out with someone who's 30? Why would I hang out with someone who's 21? Right? We silo ourselves, we segregate ourselves. But in the kingdom of God, we are one. In the kingdom of God, we believe that the smallest child can teach us something about God because they can hear from a God who speaks. I know all the parents in the room have learned something about the heart of God through your children. Sometimes the hard way, probably sometimes the easy way. Guys, we need each other. God uprooted this core belief I had about singleness and showed me a picture of what we could have. And now one of the coolest full circle moments is that my little sister from the Ellison, she actually interned here this summer. She flew out here from California and now our church family was able to pour into her and she was able to pour into our church family. She lived with me for part of the summer. This is a picture of what can be available to us. Now, what I'm not saying is that all of you in here need to go invite some single person to live with you. <laughs> That's not feasible, that is not the goal, right? It's not to replicate a story of my life. But what I am gonna ask of you, what I am challenging you, is to look at your life and ask yourself, does my sphere of relationships reflect God's design for the kingdom? Nate talked about the importance of serving our youth. 
right? That intergenerational relationship. And in the same way that we want to cross those generational divides, we also want to cross this weird divide that can happen between single and married. If you'll turn to Psalm 23 with me. God showed me a lot about his heart through this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is good news. But for so long, I read this subconsciously as, my cup overflows once I'm married. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me as soon as God brings me a husband. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, but God, I don't want to dwell in your house until I can get married. Marriage is a beautiful thing, but it is not the thing that ensures a good, full life. It is Jesus that gives us life to the full. You can get married and still be just as miserable as you were when you were single. You can be fulfilled and happy and full as much as a single person as you can as a married person. We have to take marriage off of the throne that only belongs to God. God is not withholding good for me because he has called me to singleness. Now I thank God for all the times that he said no to certain relationships because I would have missed out on discovering this gift of singleness. I now see purpose in my singleness. Wow, God, I get to show the inclusivity of Christ to the world. I get to bless many different families by becoming a part of their family. And they get to bless me. I went from desperately trying to flee my singleness to honoring it as a gift that God has given me and rejecting that cultural narrative that we live to get married. What I am not saying here is that a desire for marriage is bad. As I said earlier, I think marriage is beautiful, it is sacred, it is a good thing to desire. And if that's on your heart and you're single, pour that out to God. What I am challenging is the idolatry of marriage, of taking a good thing that God gives and making it an ultimate thing. We idolize marriage when we believe that our life will not be good or complete without it. When we believe that marriage is the end game we're living for rather than Jesus and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now, I wouldn't be opposed to marriage if that is in God's will for me. But now God has helped me see that my singleness is a gift to be treasured. As Paul said, hey, you are able to focus on the kingdom in a way that you just couldn't if you were married. In the same way that marriage reflects Jesus to the world in a certain way, singleness does as well. And we need to begin to honor each other in the season that we're at. Whether you're 20 and single or 60 and single, we see you, we celebrate you. Within both marriage and singleness, there are burdens and joys. Within both marriage and singleness, there will be seasons of loneliness. Spoiler alert, marriage does not magically protect you from the feeling of loneliness. It's just a human feeling that we all navigate. Within both marriage and singleness, you have a choice of choosing to live your life for the kingdom of God or for yourself. As the worship team comes up on stage, I want to end by saying that whether you are married or single, you are equally important in this church and you are equally important within the kingdom of God. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. There is no waiting line for belonging for any follower of Jesus. You belong right here, right now. For my married friends in the house, I want to challenge you to pray and ask God to show you how you can specifically help reflect God's design for family. Maybe this looks like asking one of your single friends to join you for a family dinner once a week. Or inviting a single friend over for a game night. Or going to visit them with your family when they are always the one to visit you. Maybe it just looks like having a conversation with them. Hey, how can we love you better? You're a part of our family. I would challenge you to ask God to help you love those around you even deeper and to reflect his goodness into the world. For my single friends in the house, I want you to know that God sees you. He knows you. He knows your desires, whether that's to get married or not. He has not forgotten about you. He is not withholding good from you. He's not testing you. If he has called you into singleness, whether for a season or a lifetime, I want you to know that he has already chosen you. You already belong and that you were made to have family. He's already given you that. He's given you himself and he's chosen you. He has other relationships for you that can be meaningful and deep and committed. We just have to keep our eyes open and have the courage to respond to that call. Keep pouring your heart out to him. Be honest with him. Maybe you're discontent in your singleness. Talk to him about that. Ask him to show you his purpose. My single friends, I also want you to know that this church family sees you. We are sorry for any time where we've idolized marriage or made it our church center around that, when we were unaware or blind to you. We are one family full of both single people and married people. 
And we want you to know that we are committed to you. We're gonna close our time together um, in worship to God. After hearing his word, we want to respond in praise to him for the good news of Jesus. Because this is good news. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me as we sing to God. And we are going to have um, a pastor in the balconies and there'll be a couple of us along the um, walls. And normally we just have prayer at the front at the beginning, but we're gonna extend this time of prayer. Um, So I would encourage you to come up and receive prayer. Maybe it's related to the topic today. Maybe it's just a different burden on your heart. Maybe you're still praying for healing like Pastor Alex talked about. Whatever it is, we encourage you to come receive prayer. Um, Pastor Tanya's up there in the balcony. Pastor Jen's here. Pastor Bonnie will be there and I'll be right here. Let's pray for each other. Let's praise God for his goodness. And let's end our time together just opening ourselves up to God and his will.